Welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today we're going to be testing out a special mailbag edition. Normally I do my mailbag column about once or twice a month on The Athletic, but we're going to test it out on the podcast and see how you guys like it. Uh, we have 11 questions we're going to get to, but that might end up spawning 15, 20. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I like to ramble. Um, joining me is my producer, Mike Smeltz, uh, the audio wizard here. Uh, Mike, how are you doing? Oh, I am fantastic. I am sitting here. Well, I was sitting here before I wanted to give you my full attention. I was watching uh, every political channel I could. Super Tuesday. I don't, it's I don't think day. anyone's. It's a big I day. <laughs> I don't think anyone is going to be listening to this. Is has the chance to then vote? I don't know if we're going to need it that quickly. But if you do, go vote. You know, just go vote. It's great. It's super fun. It's a great process. Just go vote. It's great. And so, to be clear, right now. We are recording this before the Clippers game with the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. I am not going to be in Oklahoma City. I will be heading to Houston tomorrow for that game on Thursday. Um, had you know, bosses enforced that I, I take a few games off, so uh, <laughs> I, I picked OKC <laughs> as one of them. Um, but also, my son is in town, so I'm spending some time with him. Um, so let's let's dig into it. Yeah, absolutely. So the first question we have coming up, and this is kind of a newsy one right off the bat. Uh, this is from a feller, uh, a fellow podcaster at LA Clipcast on Twitter asks you, uh, what does Balmer do with the forum if he's willing to buy a second arena to guarantee a first? Is it possible? He's also so rich, he pays rent at Staples but moves the team out early into their own arena or somewhere else. Jovan, where, what can you tell us about this forum deal? So I, as for the Clippers leaving early, I'm fairly positive that's not going to happen. Um, I mean, look, Steve Ballmer has enough money to make anything happen, uh, you know, so I, you can't fully rule it out. But they also have to build the arena and the complex. And, um, you know, I know they're starting that process and, and they're still kind of clearing some stuff, but they're pretty much set up and, and this purchase would pretty much be the the last hurdle to them, um, you know, potentially building the arena. So I think, you know, assuming this goes through, uh, as has been reported, uh, I do think, you know, the arena is a lock. It's probably already a lock. And so I don't, I don't know exactly, um, you know, I don't have a copy of the Staples Center lease and then kind of that, um, you know, the, the, the wording of the contract, but I'm fairly certain it would be a pretty steep price. Now, again, Steve can pay, you know, you can afford to pay any price to get out of it. But I think there is just the logistics of them, you know, having to actually build the arena and and have another place to go. And I don't think they're just going to go to the forum to spite Staples Center. Um, Again, maybe, maybe they do. And and I I can't rule that out yet. Um, You know, maybe they somehow switch to the forum and then temporarily play there. And then once the arena is built, they switch over there. But uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that would be a a steep, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to get out of that. And maybe Steve is willing to pay that in a couple of years, but it is going to be, you know, two, three years until this arena is, is complete. Um, you know, I, th- I think they're trying to get it done by like 2023 or 2022, 2023 to have it ready for the, the 2024 opening. So it is something that is within the realm of possibility because, I, you know, it, it, had you had you lob this theory to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, what if Steve Ballmer just buys the forum? Uh, I, I would not have really believed that was I mean, it's possible, but I, I wouldn't have thought it was likely. And the fact that he is willing to do that shows how serious he is about having the Serena go through shows how committed he is to keeping the, the Clippers in Los Angeles. Um, I, I know, you know, every article I, I post um, or every other one, there, there's a Lakers fan saying, go back to Seattle, move the team. Like that's just not happening, you know, as things currently stand. I, I think it would take something very, very drastic to, to switch that, which would probably be at like 0.01% or something like that. So I, I think overall um, this is, you know, for Clipper fans, this shows Steve Ballmer's commitment to staying in LA. It shows his commitment to building a world-class arena and really providing Clipper fans with the best experience possible. Um, and it shows that he is willing to spend to make that happen, right? Like 
there's really no need for him to build, you know, to buy the forum other than to clear the way for this arena to go through because, you know, part of the, the reason why MSG and the forum have an issue with the arena, um, I mean, there, there's multiple reasons, but part of it is the potential competition of the Clippers having their own arena, what that would mean for, for concerts, um, for different events in, in the Inglewood area because the arenas are so close together. So, you know, force Steve to come in and just say, hey, I'm going to just buy the damn thing and, and be a boss and <laughs> do a boss move like this. Like that to me just shows how committed he is. And I think you're probably going to see that in stuff we'll touch on later in this podcast with, with you know, future spending, the, the luxury tax, all that stuff. Like Steve Ballmer can't afford to pay extra money that other owners can't pay. And I think if he is willing to, you know, spend that money, he, he definitely can. And it definitely can be a, you know, an advantage that the Clippers have versus other franchises that, that don't have that luxury. So um, I can't, it, it's too early in the process to really speak to the the possibility of the Clippers getting out early. Like maybe they get out a season early, they, they build the arena and they get out for like the 2023, 2024 season. Uh, but that is the last, you know, that's the scheduled last season in Staples Center 2024 summer would be when they could renegotiate. But at that point, the Clippers plan is to have that new arena. So um, I don't really have any new information to provide on that front per se. But uh, look, with, you know, 50 plus billion, 60 plus billion, wherever he's at now, um, anything is is really possible. So you, you can't rule it out. I would say at this point, it seems unlikely. Yeah, and my sort of hope is, you know, I like chaos. Chaos is fun, particularly when really (laughs) super rich people are involved. And this isn't going to happen because it makes no sense for the Lakers and the Bus family to do this. But I I almost wish that they would tell the Clippers early, get out like you are. We are kicking you. I I know they can't do this. We're kicking you out of Staples. And then it becomes that the Clippers have to play in like at the forum right now we're like whatever would be left of the forum as they're doing this i would be interested in seeing them try to force the clippers out early before the new arena in inglewood is built and then the clippers become this sort of where are they going to play what's the fun spot in la that they have to play do they play in like the rams chargers arena for a couple of games or just make this fun you know like because uh ultimately the best part of the balmer bus dolan sort of uh not a love triangle it was kind of a hate triangle was the sniping back and forth the emails the way the emails were describing the other people and it was a peek into a life of billionaires and i don't know if the bus family i guess their value their their assets are billionaires but i don't know if their cash hall is a billionaire but um i've loved it i've loved every second of it reading it and this comes this is a logical conclusion and I'm interested to see then how it proceeds forward, which is what leads into the question. Um, do, do you watch Succession? Gonna... Yeah, of course. It's it's phenomenal, and it's so and it this is kind of like a, Lo- a Logan Roy move. Not not to compare Steve Ballmer to Logan Roy, but it's like let's just buy the whole damn thing if <laughs> like if it's going to make things easier. <laughs> well, and, and do you know would they? I know this is early, but would they tear down? The old for like because I know MSG yeah, and Dolan I, put a lot of money in rehabbing the forum and to make it, you know, the goal is to make this world class music venue. Are they tearing down the forum to build this new arena, or the forum is just to buy just to basically so then they can build something else right next to it? How, how is that all going to work? Do we know? We we don't know. Um, I I think, I mean, really, like reading between the lines, it, it seems like they are sort of paying you know it, it, you know again th- this has to go through you know this isn't official yet but under the assumption that it does happen you know they're, they're essentially paying msg to shut up and, and stop making this a thing right like they're saying okay you know instead of dragging this out you know further in, in court and then having a you know just continuing to have this bad blood and, and this drama and um you know sort of dragging out this process uh like let's you know let's just look we'll we'll buy the, the the damn property off of you and you know just settle this and I think if they do you know doing that kind of I don't know if they tear down the forum like I I do think I mean it, it would be kind of an fu move to the Lakers and the Knicks um, 
you know, it, it, those are, you know, they've they had the emails and like you said, they've had, they've had all the drama back and forth. Um, I, I, I just think the forum, I mean, look, they can make money off the forum, right? Like they can, um, you know, potentially have, cause you know, when Steve has talked about, uh, the, the new arena, it has primarily been through the context of basketball, of course. And, you know, that he's kind of said, you know, we want, you know, this is, there's not going to be hockey at this arena. There's not going to be all these like different sporting events at this arena. It's going to be a basketball arena. You'd assume at some point they probably would have incorporated, uh, you know, concerts over the summer and stuff to just bring in more revenue. But, um, you know, maybe that's just kind of what they use the forum for now. Is And they're like, okay, we're going to have two arenas, two revenue streams, and, you know, maybe they end up making back the difference. Um, it, it does seem like with the way these things are trending, like owning an arena, um, owning that property is only, you know, increasing in value that, that Inglewood area is increasing in value, you know, with the, the new stadiums and, and then eventually the, the Clippers new arena. So that whole kind of area is being renovated right now and, and revitalized. And I, I do wonder if just owning the forum could be, you know, a, a, a smart thing down the road, you know, aside from the politics of everything and kind of just the, the posturing and stuff, um, you know, maybe it, it does just make more sense to own that property. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating. It, it came out of nowhere. Um, you know, I, I saw Kevin Artovitz furiously typing away on his computer and little <laughs> did I know what he was writing, um, <laughs> uh, during the game, but yeah, it ended up being that. And, um, it, it was pretty, pretty big deal. So going from literally the largest scale possible with the Clippers to a very small, uh, narrow view of the Clippers right now. This is from Richard Guidos on Twitter, R.E. Guidos 89 asks, with a roster spot available, what player do you see the Clippers adding to fill that? And we've had a couple of questions like this, and some people brought up Joakim Noah, Dante Cunningham. What are the Clippers going to do with this last spot on their roster? So I think the it, it makes sense to add someone. There really is no downside to adding someone. Um, you know, at this point, with the way like the, the buyout market is official at this point, it, w- it was by March second. Uh, you, you had to be bought out to be playoff eligible. So you know, now anyone who is bought out for whatever reason would not be playoff eligible. So there really is no point to buying guys out. Um, you know, like last season, the heat cut Rodney Magruder, um, in, in the last week of the season, he ended up, you know, the, the Clippers put in a waiver claim for him, got him. And he was not postseason eligible because he was cut so late into the season, but he got to be around the team. Um, he was actually dealing with an injury around the time. So he, he probably couldn't have even played had he been eligible, but you know, he got, he got to be around the team for a few games and be on, you know, with the team during the playoffs and, you know, not play, of course, but just, just be around them and in that environment. Um, so, and then the Clippers ended up re-signing him to a three-year deal. So I think there is some value in, in potentially signing guys that might not be uh, postseason eligible. And look, like Joakim Noah has been the guy that's been linked to the Clippers really since last summer, once the roster kind of shaped and, and you saw who was on the team. He always made sense. And, and I made the case for him over the summer. I made the case for him over the fall. And he did have a scheduled workout for the Clippers that he ended up having to cancel. And it, it's been very kind of murky what happened and, and what's been going on with him. Um, it has come out that he did tear his Achilles at, at some point around that time. You would think it probably was around that time in September, um, right before he was supposed to work out for the team. So an Achilles tear normally, especially if it happened in September, would take him out until, you know, at least the summer, if not the next fall. And especially had a guy already in his early 30s, you know, that could potentially be career threatening, um, you know, if not career ending. So there's a lot of like stuff up in the air. Um, I do know, I I didn't see it. So this isn't a a firsthand account of this, but, um, you know, a bunch of people were tweeting about how Woj was on ESPN on on Friday um, talking about, you know, the Clippers interest in Joakim Noah. So, you know, if, if that is true and that is coming from Woj, you know, I haven't, I didn't see anything written about it officially. I, I didn't see, you know, Woj tweeted or, or say it in any other platform. So, you know, that's just going off of what people were saying on Twitter, which is always a risky thing. Um, you know, assuming that is true, 
you know, I, I think he makes a lot of sense and he would be playoff eligible because he has not been on a, a roster this season. Now, again, you know, it's kind of unclear when he tore his Achilles, how, you know, was it a partial tear? Was it a full tear? How serious is that? What's his recovery like? Um, you know, if he is playoff eligible, or well, I mean, he is playoff eligible. If he can play in the playoffs, uh, I, I do think that he can help this team, right? And, and I think as I've, as I talked about in my last podcast, um, I've given up on, on Avica Zubats like playing more. You know, he just, he, he, it is what he is. He's going to play 16 to 20 minutes a night. Um, he is kind of capped in that role. And it looks like instead of potentially playing him more minutes in Montrez Harrell, fewer minutes, Clippers answer might just be going smaller. It looks like the Clippers solution might not be playing uh, you know, Zoo fewer minutes, in, in, or I mean Trez fewer minutes and Zoo more, but probably keeping Zoo's minutes the same and then just going smaller more, playing Jermichael Green at the five, playing Marcus Morris at the five, maybe even playing Paul George or Kawhi Leonard at the five, depending on who they're playing. You know, is it Houston who's going to be going 6'6 or 6'7 and smaller? So I don't expect you know, Joakim Noah to come in and, and play a lot, but if the Clippers do sign him, um, I, I think he he provides value. And you, you saw in the Philly game where Joel Embiid basically, you know, single-handedly almost fouled out Zoo and Trez. You know, Zoo had five fouls, Trez had four. Uh, you know, I think seven or eight of those came directly on Embiid. And the, the fact that he, you know, a guy like that is, is so big and, and dominant and powerful, he's going to rack up fouls, um, you know, like a Shaq or like a Dwight Howard uh, in their primes. And I think to ha- you, you need a third big body because had Zoo come back in and fouled out and then now you're there with Trez and, and he fouls out, now you really just have Jermichael Green and Marcus Morris. Like maybe you, you, you throw in Fiondu Cabangele, but he's probably not going to be on the postseason roster. So I, I think for the Clippers, getting that, you know, it's it's never been, unless they were getting like an all-star or like a really high-level starter, they weren't going to find a big to replace Zoo or Trez, um, you know, unless, of course, they flipped them in the deal. But it, it's always just been about having that literal third center, which they don't really have on the team, just as insurance in case of an injury, in case of foul trouble. So Joakim Noah, to me, you know, I think with this 15th spot, it should be a big man. Um, you know, it should be Joakim Noah if he can play. Another guy I like um, that, that, you know, was kind of polarizing on Twitter when I put this out there is Jordan Bell. Um, I know there are a lot of people, I guess, that don't like Jordan Bell, uh, but but to me, you know, he he's a mobile, athletic rim protector who can rim run, roll in the pick and roll, um, you know, fit, finish in fast breaks, and defensively is versatile, switchy, and is a pretty good shot blocker and decent rim protector. And I know he has his flaws. He's not very skilled. He can't shoot. Um, and, you know, the, he, he is relatively limited f- from a skill perspective. But the guy is, you know, just turned 25. And he has that championship experience of playing in Golden State under Steve Kerr with Steph Curry, KD, Clay, Draymond. Um, he, he's been in that type of culture. And I think you saw him really thrive in, in that type of setting you know, versus Minnesota and Memphis where he played this season and and really kind of struggled and and couldn't find his way into the rotation. I think, again, like he is limited, but I think you look at what Golden State did with Marquise Chris and what they're trying to do with with Dragon Bender and and some of the other, you know, kind of random reclamation projects around the league. You never know when a guy is going to kind of pop or what you can do to sort of bring the best out of him. And you know, whether Jordan Bell has, has been a productive player or not the past couple years, that rookie season, he was a plus player. You know, I've, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of the Golden State writers. You know, it's probably the, the you know, the, the kind of crop of writers I'm closest with outside of the, the LA writers. And most of them are, are high on Jordan Bell. Most of them like Jordan Bell. Um, you know, he did have the Mike Brown incident and, and, you know, the room service charge and all that stuff. And like, mm-hmm. he has gone through some, you know, maturity issues, but you know, I think we, we've seen time and time again, Doc Rivers is a player's coach. He knows how to get the best out of guys. Um, and it, it's, it's look like he, he wouldn't be postseason eligible. So you don't have to worry about him 
taking Zoo's minutes or or you know playing a, a role that he shouldn't play. But you get a couple months or not even you know a month and a half to look at him. You you know you play him a little bit, and I, I think in the best case scenario, you re-sign him this summer on a cheap deal, and you got that guy in house, and, and you just keep him. Worst case scenario, you just let him walk in the summer. It's not a big deal. But to me, it's a it's a very low risk, high reward, or, or, or you know moderate reward situation. Uh, so those would be the two guys I would look at. I think a third option would be turning Amir Coffey, who's a two way player, into um, a just a you know the fifteenth guy on the team. I think Amir Coffey's played really well when he's played. Now the thing is, he's a wing. Um, you know, th- there's not really a role for another wing on this team when fully healthy. But you know. I think he is an NBA player. And I think if the Clippers aren't careful, he's going to end up somewhere else uh, next next season. So I think those would be the three people I would look at either signing Noah or bell or, um, you know, turning coffee into the 15th spot outside of that. There isn't like Dante Cunningham hasn't been in the league in a couple of years. Um, you know, Tristan Thompson didn't get bought out. Uh, no other really bigs of consequence got bought out. So th- those are the two names that are, you know, the three names I would look at. And I just want to clarify too. So it how it works is if a guy has been bought out or whatever, and he and he's not, and he's a, was on a former team, and now he is eligible to be picked up as a free agent. He is a free agent. He then couldn't be on the playoff roster, but someone like Joakim Noah, who has not been on a roster this season, he could be picked up right now, and then he could be on the Clippers playoff roster. What's that breakdown exactly? Yeah. So the player had to have been a free agent by March second. Um, it might, it's March 1st, March 2nd. I, you know, there's a hour, you know, there was a deadline. It might've been March 1st, like 6 PM, uh, Eastern that they had to have been bought out by. Um, so Jordan Bell, for example, was bought out on March 2nd after the deadline. So he is not postseason eligible. Um, so like what happened with Roddy Magruder last year is he was bought out like the first week of April, which was, you know, a month past the deadline. Um, and so that rule is kind of in place. So it's not like guys can like play a guy through the whole season and then just cut someone randomly right before the playoffs to like help a team out. Like it has to be a, a bit of a buffer. Right. Um, so any, any of the guys that were uh, like, like, you know, Reggie Jackson was a buyout guy. Had he not been signed by the Clippers and was still in the market, he would still be eligible to be on. A, so you don't have to be signed before March 2nd. You just oh, have to okay. be bought out, but you have to be a free agent. By, so it's, Basically, all, all of the free agents by the deadline are eligible to be to play in the playoffs. Anyone who becomes a free agent post the deadline is ineligible. So Jordan Bell is someone. Now you know people. Some people throw out Demarcus Cousins on Twitter too. Um, it's unclear if Boogie's going to be able to play this season. Uh, I, I know there's been some bad blood between him and the Clippers in the past with with him and Chris Paul, him and Blake Griffin, him and JJ Redick, him and Doc Rivers. So like. On and on down the list, I I just don't really see the fit. Um, you know, Boogie was not that good last season. I think people kind of confuse points with with how good you are. And he was a wreck defensively. Uh, the Clippers actually outscored the Warriors in the playoffs in the the you know, limited minutes he played before he went down in that series. So I don't really see the fit with, with him and the Clippers. You know, maybe again he he's worth the risk, and he was on the Lakers, so you, you think you know maybe he can help with that matchup, but. Um, I, I just I don't really see the, the the obvious fit with him in the Clippers. So the next question we have is from Jerome Robinson, Mister Robinson on Twitter says that this is a delightful thing to see. He asked you, Yovan, when are you dropping your next podcast, and will it be with Justin Russo? Just asking because to me it's the most intelligent basketball I've heard. As your producer, I wanted to include this. As your co-host today, I am hurt. Because <laughs> I am now, I'm definitely second class behind Justin. Uh, Justin's been awesome. That you guys, you guys do have like phenomenal deep conversations about the Clippers. Uh, we should, you should, obviously, it's on schedule. Justin, sometime soon, we have to get him back on. He's just, he's on all the time now. He's almost near permanent co-host. It's pretty great. Um, yeah. So, well, th- this is my next podcast and Justin's not on, um, but, but I want to give him a quick shout out. He just actually replaced me at Blue Wire, where I'd been previously uh, before transitioning over to The Athletic. Uh, so he has a new 
um, podcast clip and roll with Farbad Eshnashari. Uh, so just want to give those two guys a, a shout out and, and wish them well. Um, so give them a listen after you, you give us a listen first. Definitely. All right. Next up is from Nate Phillips at Nate Phillips underscore underscores at the end of Nate Phillips on Twitter asks on Twitter. What team does the Los Angeles Clippers, LA Clippers match up best with for the first round? OKC, Utah, Dallas. Uh, well, it's yes, it's clearly not Utah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so U- Utah's up two one in the season series. Um, one of those losses is kind of a throwaway game because Kawhi didn't play. Uh, it was actually the first game Kawhi rested uh, early in the season, and it was an ESPN game, and that was when some of the backlash to, to load management kind of started. So it, it's not Utah. Uh, you know, the Clippers should try to avoid Utah. That that would be you know playing. The, the Lakers, the Rockets, Utah, or Denver in the first round, to me, would be a disaster. Uh, you know, I, I think it it would – I mean, Utah has been – has the worst record of those teams right now, so it looks like Utah would be the most realistic. But, um, yeah, Utah is not a good matchup for the Clippers. Like, I, I think they would beat them, uh, but I do think it would probably be a six- or seven-game series. Quinn Snyder is a really good coach. He's a really good playoff coach. Rudy Gobert – gives the Clippers problems. And, and the truth is, you know, Vita Zubats has actually done fairly, you know, that's a, that should be a Zubats matchup, but it just, you know, has not really, he still kind of plays his 20 22 minutes and Rudy, Go, you know, Montrose Harrell can not really do much against Rudy Gobert. Who's about six inches, you know, seven inches taller than him uh, has 30, 40 pounds on him. And it's just, it's not a great matchup for him. Uh, but, but the jazz are, you know, I think the, the the, the Jazz, and I'm going to transition this into the second team that I don't think is a good matchup, is the Thunder, who we'll see tonight how that game goes. Um, we, again, we're recording this before that game, so I don't know. Right now, the season series is tied 1-1, uh, but it could easily be 2-1 because the Clippers needed a game-winning shot from Paul George at Staples Center to beat the Thunder, um, and then they got you know lost by around 10 or so in, in OKC. Uh, so... I think what OKC and, and Utah bring that Dallas does not bring is multiple creators on the perimeter. And I think that's where you've seen the Clippers struggle a little bit is if you have multiple guys who could break down a defense, um, you know, hit threes off the dribble or, or just create three-point looks for other guys. Um, so for Utah, that's Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, even, um, you know, Joe Ingles and, and Jordan Clarkson to some extent, like those a group of multiple skilled perimeter players has given the Clippers some problems this year. Um, you know, they've usually been fine containing one guy or, or two guys, but when you have three, four, five guys that can give them some issues, especially against the second unit. And, you know, OKC, of course, has Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Dennis Schroeder, even Danilo Gallinari, who's kind of, you know, a three, four combo. Uh, so, I think those teams are, are worse and they're also a bit bigger and, and more physically imposing. Uh, OKC also has Steven Adams inside. For me, it's Dallas. And it is kind of weird because Dallas has the best player of the three teams in, in Luka Doncic, you know, a guy who's going to finish top five in MVP, if not top three. Uh, but the Clippers have actually matched up well against Dallas. They're 3-0 and against them in the season series and, you know, including two wins in Dallas. And, you know, it's just they have so many guys to throw at Luka Doncic. You can throw Pat Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George. Now you could switch Marcus Morris onto him in a pinch. Um, you know, I, I think they have enough guys to to put on. Even Rodney Magruder, if you need some more minutes off the bench. So they have enough guys to really throw and just send waves at, at Doncic. And, and outside of that, no one else has really hurt them. Like, you know, J.J. Barea kind of hurt them a little bit. Um, and, you know, Jalen Brunson. But... I just I don't think the Mavericks have enough around Luca, and the Clippers have shown now through the three games they can single cover him when they do double him and, and blitz him and force the ball out of his hands. Uh, they do a pretty good job recovering and, and making sure no one else hurts them. So unless Kristaps Porzingis takes a big step over these last twenty to twenty five games, you know heats up in the playoffs, I don't really see Dallas having enough offensive firepower or defensive capability to give the Clippers much problems. Like right now, I'd probably pick that series 4-1 Clippers. Um, whereas Utah, like I said, it's probably a six or seven game series. 
I think OKC might be a five-game series, but it's going to be a really hard-fought five-game series that the Clippers would walk away with a, a bunch of bruises and you know a, a few really close games. So I would say between those three, it's Dallas. Of course, you want to see the eight seed, whether it's Memphis, you know, Portland, San Antonio, um, uh, New Orleans. Like I'd probably rather see one of those teams than, than any of these three. But if you're giving me these three, uh, three teams to pick, I'll, I'll say Dallas is is the easiest matchup for the Clippers. Yeah, and just as a basketball fan, not as a Clippers fan, the, the matchup I'd want to see most is OKC Clippers just for the intrigue. Just I mean, there's 18 different storylines that you yourself would probably be writing about. <laughs> um, you know, the, the mega team that was created by the mega trade and then Chris Paul. And, and there's just so much that, that could be coming out of that series. And I actually think it would be really good basketball. Uh, and the wing deficit for the Thunder matching up against, you know, one of the greatest collection of wings <laughs> in NBA history and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I, that would be interesting. Um, and ultimately I think you're right when you, you know, even when you're talking about this, there are bad matchups potentially with Utah or whatever. But if we think the Clippers are who they really are, who they should be, the first round matchup shouldn't matter that much, right? Like ultimately Clippers have bigger goals and they should be more, you know, there shouldn't be that much concern about Thunder, Jazz, Mavericks, though we obviously have seen teams in the NBA get upset by someone else just only on matchups, a lower-seeded team on matchups. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm in agreement with you. Uh, a person that should matter pretty mightily in the playoffs, too, though, who is uh, not mattering as much for the Clippers at the moment, this is from at underscore Chris Merch on Twitter. Thank you for your question. Is the downturn in Landry's minutes, Landry Shamit, of course, something to be worried about? Are you worried, Yovan? I'm going to give a shout out to Chris. He's a, he's a friend of the pod. Um, he's in the Clippers Twitter community and, and you know right, covers the team. So I want to give him a shout out. But I'm so I'm a little bit worried um, now. As I just wrote today, Reggie Jackson has been playing out of his mind um, and. If he's going to play this well, what it's kind of doing is moving Lou to the two, which that's where Landry's minutes have been minimized a little bit. Now, it has been a little bit of a weird rotation because they blew out the Grizzlies, which was kind of a throwaway game. Uh, they blew out the Nuggets, which was kind of a throwaway game as far as the the rotation goes. Uh, but if you look at the, the two games that kind of sandwiched that, because that Sacramento game... Uh, you know, Paul George and, and Pat Beverly were out. So you, you can't really, you know, look, look at that with, with, you know, in terms of like a realistic rotation. If you look at the Phoenix game, which was close and the Philly game, um, which was also close because Shake Milton went off for 39 points. Uh, Landry played 20 minutes in the Phoenix game and he played 15 minutes in the Philly game. So uh, I'm not a math wizard, but that's 17 and a half minutes, which is a steep drop off. You know, Landry's been in that 26 to 28 minute range consistently. Uh, the Clippers have kind of started playing him more than Pat Beverly and Lou Williams as, as those guys who are in the early 30s. And, you know, we, we talk about load management with Kawhi and PG, but those two guys as guys who've been around the block for a while, I mean, this is Lou Williams' 15th season. Um, those guys need some rest and, and those guys need to have their minutes managed heading into the playoffs. So that had kind of been happening a bit with Landry playing more and Lou and Pat playing less. Uh, but now that has kind of been flipped on its head with the arrival of Reggie Jackson and with him playing so well um, and really unlocking this version of Lou Williams uh, that has kind of come at the cost of Landry Shamit. Uh, you know, his, his shot attempts have been down a little bit. He hasn't been shooting the ball uh, as well, he hasn't been as involved in handling the ball, and you, you've seen his assist drop a little bit. So, is it is it a concern if I'm Landry? Yes. Um, is it you know is it a concern if I'm the Clippers? Maybe, maybe not. I, I think it depends. If Reggie keeps this up, which I, I don't think he will at, at this, you know, he's shooting like you know fifty percent, um, you know fifty three percent from the floor. Like I, I just in like forty four percent on on threes. Like I, I just don't see that level of efficiency maintaining. Um, you know, so if if he decreases, I think it kind of evens out where where Reggie probably plays like twelve twelve to fifteen minutes, and Landry's in that like 
18 to 22 minute zone, which is probably fewer minutes than he wants to play, but it kind of is what it is at this point. Um, you know, that was kind of the cost of bringing in a Reggie Jackson. Um, I think the only thing like at the same time though, and, and we're going to get into it in a little bit with, with the, you know, there's a playoff rotation question. I'm very intrigued by kind of how the playoff rotation shakes out because I think it's going to be very matchup based. And that's where if it's not a great matchup for Landry or he's not shooting the ball at a very high level, um, you know, like that's where he can maybe get squeezed a little bit even more from the rotation because usually in the playoffs, you go eight, nine guys, you don't go 10 guys. Now the Clippers are so good that I still think at least for the first round and maybe even second round, they will probably stick with 10 guys or, or nine and a half guys. Um, you know, I, I just think it, it kind of makes some sense with, with the makeup of this roster. Uh, but, but moving forward, I mean, yeah, I think it is a bit of a concern for Landry. Um, I think for him, it's really going to come down to how well does he shoot the ball because he, he has not shot the ball extremely well the last few games. And if that continues, then I think his value kind of decreases in the eyes of the Clippers. Um, whereas if he's shooting 40 plus percent on threes, they have no choice but to play him because that's such a valuable asset on the court. Uh, so to me, it really comes down to a mix of how's Reggie playing and how's Landry shooting and you know, how, how amenable is Doc to kind of being flexible because sometimes he's flexible, sometimes he's not. He, he's very hard to read as a coach with his rotations. And I think overall, though, I would say Landry's playing time is trending downward. Yeah, and you kind of already addressed this, but we'll hop back into the playoff rotation question. This is from at ya boy young trill. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Trill uh, on Twitter. So it's about playoff rotation. What do you think the rotation looks like in the playoffs? You've talked about this. Do they shorten the rotation and only play eight players? And then we had another one from at Clippers Current, which is, is Zoo playable? Are the Clippers going to be 10 deep in the playoffs? And I kind of want to spin this even a little bit further is that are there guys who who were the players who are the most dependent on matchup to actually play in the playoffs? Who are the the handful of players who are at the end of the bench who, if they play the Rockets versus the Nuggets versus the Lakers, who's who's the guys who may not see any minutes? And then if they play a different team, they may actually get like consistent minutes in in games. It's definitely Zoo. Uh, like I, I'm interested to see what they do on Thursday if they even start him against the Rockets because. You know the Rockets are going five out with, with five wings and, and guards, and um, you know we we've seen Zoo struggle to get out to the three point line against guys like Nikola Jokic and Karl Anthony Towns, who aren't exactly like the fastest dudes in the world. Now him rotating out to like a PJ Tucker or Robert Covington, those guys are a bit quicker, a bit more athletic, um, just in terms of like their foot speed where they can easily get by Zoo and and really cause breakdowns in the defense. So it would not surprise me if the Clippers end up benching Zoo to start that game. Uh, you know, maybe they go Marcus Morris at the five and start like Landry uh, at the two and, and kind of move Kawhi and PG up. Or, or maybe they just go like Jermichael Green or Trez at the five and just kind of give it a different look. Um, I, I think... So I, I think Zoo is the one guy, especially in a Rocket series, that's where his value comes into question. Um, you know, very similarly to the way his, his value was in question against Golden State, even though I think he's gotten better than last season. I, I think in, in the Lakers matchup, it'll be interesting to see, which we'll, we'll see this weekend, uh, because Patrick Patterson has started the, the two games um, that he that the, the Lakers and Clippers played, and he's not been in the rotation. Um, you know, since the rotation's been healthy. Since the, the Clippers added Marcus Morris, that pretty much permanently put Patrick Patterson to the bench where there's even been some nights where it's been like, you know, third string minutes and he's not even com- coming out and playing. So I would be shocked if they started Patrick Patterson in the playoffs. Uh, I think that just wouldn't make sense. And, you know, you should go with Mar- you know, Marcus Morris kind of is that bridge of, of what they wanted with Patrick Patterson, which was a bigger, tougher guy, a guy who could shoot. Um, so you know, who knows? Maybe Patrick Patterson finds minutes in a Lakers series. I, I just don't think it makes sense. Um, so I would say the guys who are most dependent depending on ma- matchups are Zoo one. Uh, I think Jamichael Green two because I think it almost he's almost handcuffed to Zoo. Where I think if Zoo plays less, Jamichael probably benefits the most because I think there's going to be a limit to how much Trez plays 
Um, you know, like I think he's going to be in that 30 to 34 minute range. And um, I, I would just be shocked if he's playing more than that. But but if if Zoo gets eliminated from the rotation or, or comes off the bench, I think Jermichael might be the guy who, similar to last postseason, ends up getting a bigger role in the playoffs and, and really stepping up as that shooter, floor spacer, kind of that do-it-all stretch big that he, he's become. Um, so I think Jermichael stands to benefit the most. Uh, and then I think it's 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 kind of Landry and Reggie tied for that third slot where we know the starters, those five are going to play. Um, again, maybe not Zoo, but like most matchups, I think they'll at least start him. We know Lou and Trez are the locks off the bench. And then that eight through 10 spot is Landry, Jermichael, and Reggie Jackson. Um, I think with Landry and Reggie Jackson, it, it just depends on the team where you know, do the Clippers need another ball handler, creator, playmaker? Okay, let's go Reggie. Like, do we need a little bit more size and shooting and the team is loading up on Kawhi and PG and we need a floor spacer? Okay, let's go Landry. So it really depends on the matchup, how the guys are playing, but I'd say Zoo, Jamichael, and then a tie with Landry and Reggie. This is from Andrew from 5 to 7 on Twitter. He asks... Chances we sign both Mook and Trez this summer, which is more likely any chance of bringing Reggie back. And another person, George Arce, asked the same question. Would Reggie come back? Maybe mid-level exemption. What do you think this team is going to do with all these decisions coming up this offseason? I just wrote about this, you know, in terms of the the questions the team has to ask themselves this summer. Um, I think it starts with, how much are they willing to pay Marcus Morris and Montrez Harrell? Um, in, in almost any scenario in which they re-sign both, they will be going into the luxury tax. Um, so this is this season they ended up ducking the luxury tax by like a million dollars um, by dumping Jerome Robinson to the Wizards in that three-team trade for Marcus Morris and, and Mo Harkless. Uh, so they did that to kind of put a or sort of delay the eventual repeater tax, which is when you pay the luxury tax. I think it's four out of five years, three or three out of four, or four out of five. Um, I know the cap a, a bit, but I'm, I'm not like a super cap expert. Uh, so the Clippers, it was big for them to avoid the luxury tax this season because moving forward, starting next season, the year after, and probably the year after that, and maybe even the year after that, uh, you know, they could be looking at potentially four years in a row paying the luxury tax, depending on how the, the roster shakes up. So can they re-sign both uh, Trez and, and Marcus Morris? Yes, uh, which is more likely. I would say Marcus Morris, though he, it, just because I think he'll be probably a little bit cheaper and he just has more value, I think, as a more modern player than, than Trez. Like, um, you know, Trez as I've talked about ad nauseum on here, um, he has his limitations as a six foot seven center. Um, you know, he, he's not a really plus defender. He's not a great rim protector. He's not a good rebounder. Um, and he can't shoot outside, you know, eight to 12 feet. So unless he develops a three point shot and a, a reliable mid range shot, um, or he improves as a defender, I just think, you know, to me, Trez is, is someone I probably would pay, in that like 13 to 15 million range. Um, and honestly, I think you could get, as I've uh, again covered in the past, like I think you get a guy like Rashawn Holmes for a few million, uh, you know, from, from Sacramento, who gives you 80% of what Trez gives you. He's actually a bigger player, a better rebounder and defender, um, and might actually just flat out be a better player. I know, so, you know a lot of people disagree with that, but I think you could get him for a few million. And there are other guys out there that again, give you 70 to 80% of what Trez gives you for a few million versus paying him what might end up being up to you know, 17, 18, 20 million. Now what's working out in the Clippers' favor is that the market has dried up. You know, the, the, Some of the teams, some of the players that were maybe going to be free agent players uh, like a Cleveland, like an Atlanta, probably won't end up being free agent players this summer. So the options for Trez to go to are dwindling um, you know, the, the uh, just the available cap space is dwindling. So there's a chance the Clippers get some type of discount with him and, and just end up re-signing him. But if you asked me, I think w- w- with the way Marcus Morris fits this team, 
his positional versatility, his, his floor spacing, his, his toughness, um, just the the scarcity of valuable three and D wings in, in the modern NBA. Uh, I think Morris is more likely than Trez. Um, you know, in my opinion. Uh, now Reggie was someone I hadn't even covered in, in that story because at that point he you know he had just signed, he'd only played a game, and he didn't really play that well. So I was like, who knows? Um, to me, the the MLE, which would probably be five or six million, depending on how the the order of who the Clippers sign, and it's kind of complicated. But like, you know, it's either the the non taxpayer MLE or the taxpayer MLE, and it's all kind of in in order of the way they sign these guys. Um, I think Reggie could be worth that if he maintains this. Um, if he plays to the level that we kind of expected, he's probably a minimum guy or, or a slight. You know, maybe a biannual exception guy, but I would not give him the full MLE. Um, de- you know, depending on how he plays, but if he plays like this, yeah, sure, give him the five six million. Uh, now, I also think it's going to depend on what happens with with tri- like Reggie is not not only is he he's not top two in in the order of operations. I think he's fourth because the other guy that that matters here is Jamichael Green, who could opt out and ha- has a player option. And I think is a valuable player for this team. So I would say, you know, it's probably. You know, Trez first, Marcus Morris second, J- Michael Green third, Reggie Jackson fourth in order of like importance for the Clippers this offseason. So, um, yes, Reggie can be retained. I-, I think they'll they'll try to keep him if he plays like this. But I think this team really needs, you know, help in, in the interior and on the wing more than even the point guard position. You know, between Pat, Lou, Landry, Kawhi, and PG, they can get by. Um, you know, having another ball handler has helped, as we've seen. But they can get by without that. They need wings and bigs. Um, so I think that's kind of where the priority is. And then Reggie will be will be lower on the list. Shifting gears a bit. So this is a pretty big question from Danny H. And I'll, I'll read all the letter or all the numbers in his Twitter profile. Danny H. 481-43057. Thank you, Danny, for this question. In your honest opinion, Jovan, do you see the Clippers getting out of the West as currently constructed and this is his. This is what he adds. I know we like to point out their weaknesses, but sometimes forget that other contenders, analysts, and fan bases also talk about the weaknesses of their own team. So again, back to you, Jovan. Do you see the Clippers getting out of the West as currently constructed? Yes. Um, you know, if you said Cl- Clippers versus the field, I would take the field. Um, now. You know that that's just basically saying I think they have an under fifty percent chance of, of get, or, you know under fifty point one percent chance of, of getting out of the West. Um, I, I would say I'd still have them as the favorite. Um, I, I don't know what I would handicap their odds at. Maybe thirty percent, thirty five percent. You know, maybe forty percent. Uh, I want to. You know, they're on this four game winning streak. They, they've been playing better. They're undefeated with their healthy core. I want to see. You know, April 15th, you know, what seed are they? Who's healthy? How are they playing? How did they finish this last, you know, month and a half of the season before I really make a judgment on, you know, kind of handicapping their title odds? But as currently constructed, um, you know, assuming health, assuming a top three seed, which it looks like they're going to get, I would say that I'd probably put them, I'll I'll split the difference and say 35% as the favorite. I'd probably have the Lakers around. 30%, 30%, you know, as the, as the you know, number two, and then the Rockets at like 20%, and then kind of splitting the rest between Utah, um, Dallas, and, and kind of the field. I mean, uh, Utah, Denver, and the rest of the field, which would, you know, take us to about, what, 15% for that final split between Utah and Denver in the field. Uh, so, yeah, so a long-winded way of saying um, I, I think they should still be the favorite, um, you know, I think this is a huge week for them. I, I want to see how they fare against OKC. I want to see how they fare against Houston. And I want to see how they fare against the Lakers uh, because those are, you know, three potential playoff opponents. And, and you know, this has been, you know, it's nice to, to beat Phoenix and, and Memphis and um, Philly without Embiid and Simmons. But let's see them beat Houston on the road. Let's see them beat the Lakers a third time. Like then that, that would kind of get me more, kind of concrete in my opinion on them. But um, I want to, I want to see a little bit more of this group 
uh, healthy before I, I fully commit to them winning the title. And sort of on the other the side of the corn here, and this is from at Dragon Sleeper on Twitter. Would an early playoff exit be the end of Doc or should it? No. Uh, I mean, it depends how early we're talking, right? Like, I, I think I think Doc has good job security. Um, you know, he, he's been such an important figure to this this Clippers organization where it really like if, if you're doing currently a Mount Rushmore of the Clippers, it's Blake Griffin, it's Steve Ballmer, it's Doc Rivers, and it's Chris Paul. Like I think those are the four heads on that Clipper franchise, Mount Rushmore. Um and you know, the 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 correlation between all four is that they've all been a part of the franchise, you know, over the last decade. And that really just shows kind of how new this franchise is in terms of relevance and importance and and just sort of you know being respected um so doc like you know you go back to you know the, the team traded for him which is kind of funny in retrospect um and a first round pick which he ended up trading a bunch of first round picks uh that, that kind of cost them uh, but you know he, he comes in and he, he has the donald sterling situation he handles that brilliantly um you know he, he gets promoted gets a, a job in, in the front office and eventually becomes president of basketball operations. And, you know, as, as many fans will attest to, he did not do a good job as a, you know, in the basketball office on that side of things, but he maintained, you know, being a good coach. Um, it is, we've seen it. He's not the only, really outside of Greg Popovich, no one has been able to balance that well. Uh, so, you know, you, you've seen Tom Thibodeau, Stan Van Gundy. Um, I think there's another one I'm forgetting. But like it is really hard to manage both the basketball operations and coach a team. In many ways, they are diametrically opposed. So you know, it's always felt like the front office side was taking a hit for the coaching side, and that was why they ended up having to reorganize the front office. And now they have this great front office. But to kind of go back to Doc's importance quickly, like he's very important to this franchise. You know. Even if they got swept in the first round by Dallas, OKC, whoever, I think he has built up enough equity. Now, if it happened a second time, right? Like, you know, they lose in the first round this year and then next year they lose in the first or second round. Now, I think maybe there's some fire on that hot seat and it starts to be, you know, hey, what's going on? Uh, You know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would be free agents that summer. And it's like, you know, are you not cooking with them? Like, what's going on here? Um, But Barring like I think it would have to be two summers in a row where they lose in the first or second round. Now this summer, a second round exit would also be an early like to me. This team failed the season if they do not make the conference finals. And the the one exception is like if they somehow get matched up on the same side of the bracket as the Lakers and they lose to the Lakers in the second round. I think that's the only ex- and of course Kawhi or PG being injured and them losing because of that. But outside of those two excuses, this team losing in the first or second round is it inexcusable. It should not happen. They are too talented, too good to lose in the first two rounds. Like they, this should be the first year the Clippers make the conference final. So if they lose in the first or second round, I think look, people are going to come out and call for Doc's head. That you know, there's going to be the backlash. There's going to be that. But I just think his relationship with Steve Ballmer, his relationship with Lawrence Frank, um, you know, the the outward relationship we've seen with him and, and Kawhi and PG, I'd be shocked if, if they fired him. Um, and, and I don't think he would deserve to be fired. I think if, you know, I, look, I've written about the chemistry stuff. Like I think if this team loses in the first or second round, it's probably more to do with that stuff that, you know, outside, again, outside of an injury, um, it probably has more to do with that stuff than anything else. So if I would not put now, again, like we got to see the context of the situation. Is he, playing wacky rotations and, and benching guys who are playing well and like, or playing guys who aren't playing well. And, you know, maybe he's playing Trez and Reggie Jackson over like Zubats and Landry Shamit. And, and those two guys are playing better, but they're still not playing that much. And then, all right, maybe like there, there's something we got to talk about with doc, but I'd be stunned if they fired him this off season, even if they lost in the first or second round. Yeah. And I think it would have to be some, I mean, you know more than I do, but it'd have to be some kind of background power struggle that we're unaware of and that an early playoff exit, like a sweep, plus that, plus 
Kawhi Leonard indicating that Doc Rivers isn't up for the like there has to be multiple factors for Doc to be removed at the end of this season. But let's in the scenario that the Clippers, let's say somehow they were to lose in the first round of the playoffs, which would seem incredible. He wouldn't I, I can't imagine he'd be removed, but there would be that heightened pressure all throughout the next season um, that would hang over the team. And then you're right if if it happened two times in a row. But the, the, the chances of that are so small. This team is almost kind of bulletproof, at least for that kind of aspect. Uh, they're too good to have that type of early playoff exit two seasons. But even this season, it would almost be impossible to happen. Um, anything else you want to hit before we roll? Well, yeah, th- there's a couple of quick ones I'll, I'll hit. Um, even though I, I just messaged you, I was, was going <laughs> to not hit these. <laughs> um, th- this one from uh, Sifu at Clayfu. Uh, if Zoo and Trez swap skill sets but still kept the same body, so some freaky Friday stuff, uh, would Doc still play Trez 16 straight minutes to end the game? Uh, that's a funny question, first off. Um Look, if Zoo had Trez's skill set, Zoo would be an all-star. Um, you know, like I, I think that's the one thing holding Trez back from being a, a true all-star is his size at six foot seven. Um, you know, it is just harder for him to score on, on bigger guys on, on seven footers. So if Zoo somehow had Trez's ball handling and athleticism and finishing ability, he's an all-star, uh, easy. And Trez is, I guess, like an energy defense guy which is kind of what he was built at at first. And then all of a sudden he busted out as a scorer. Um, so Trez, I mean, Trez would be a true bench player and probably be playing 15 minutes a night if he had Zoo's, uh, you know, defensive ability in a six foot seven body. But if Zoo had what Trez has offensively, um, even if he still had the same, you know, not a good re- uh, rebounder or rim protector, I just think the offensive skill set uh, in Zoo's body would make him an, an all, you know, he'd be like a Nikola Vucevic type, um, you know, not different games, but that kind of, you know, putting up 20 plus every night as a seven footer and just a really skilled big man. Um, and last one, PG's future from um, pubic enemy, public enemy, uh, at Lawler's underscore law, whose career will PG looking like after so many injuries? Does he recover? Um, it's It's hard to project. Uh, you know, but I think PG has been better than fans have given him credit for. I think he would have been an all-star this season had he, um, you know, played more games. Like, you know, but if you just looked at his his efficiency, his per-game averages, his production, um, his advanced metrics, he was playing at an all-star level. Uh, he just ended up missing, you know, 25-plus games. And it's hard to make an all-star team when you, you've missed half the games of the season. Uh, but... Moving forward, you can never project how a guy is going to age. It just is impossible. And, you know, maybe there are people that can do it that are smarter than me. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and guess his, his stuff. I mean, I think Paul George probably will have to adopt a load management program. And, you know, at some point, whether it's next season, the season after, like, I do think at some point with some of these injuries adding up on him, especially on his legs, he's going to have to start, you know, playing 60 games a season with, with 15 to 20 of those being rest games. Um, and maybe he does the exact same thing Kawhi does because they, um, you know, of course are, are teammates now and kind of have adopted and taken things from each other. But um, I think PJ's game is going to age pretty well, actually. Um, you know, he's become less reliant on his athleticism. He's become one of the best high volume three point shooters in the league. Um, he's in that conversation uh, so I, I suspect that will happen. And, you know, as guys age, they tend to play up a position. So I, I think right now he's gone from, you know, the, the two to the three, but he's, he's playing the two with the Clippers a lot. Uh, but I, I think kind of longer term, he's eventually going to end up being a four. Maybe he'll put on some weight, put on some muscle and kind of end up being a, a stretch four towards the end of his career um, as his kind of athleticism wanes or maybe his legs just loses legs a little bit because of all these injuries. Um, but, you know, he's he's got length. He's got athleticism. He, he's got a lot of skill offensively. Um, you know, he is one of the best shoot, like high-volume shooters and scorers in the league. Um, and I think he's, you know, tailor-made for this number two slot that he he has for the Clippers where, you know, he doesn't have to be the guy. And he doesn't even have to be the, the second guy some nights. You know, Lou Williams can step up. Montrezl Harrell can step up. Um, now Reggie Jackson could step up, Landry Shamit. Clippers have a lot of weapons uh, where he doesn't even have to be the number two uh, if he's having an off night or 
for whatever reason is, you know, moving the ball more. So I think PG should age gracefully as long as he manages body well. Um, there, there's no reason to think he isn't. So I think he should age fine. Um, paying him a, a max contract in 2021 might be a little bit dicey. You know, I, w- I want to see how the rest of this season goes. I want to see how next season goes before I can properly evaluate where he's at in 2021. Uh, but you got to think similar to the Clippers going all in to trade for him, they would most likely re-sign him on a multi-year max deal. Um, so that's kind of, uh, I think, where he, he's going to be at moving forward. But I think he's, he's he and Kawhi, I think, will be Clippers for multiple years. I think they'll both re-sign in 2021, barring a ca- catastrophic injury. Um, so I think that's where uh, that's where PG's at. Yeah, so we have, I just want to lay this out for everyone. What we've talked about on this podcast is the acquisition or potential acquisition of the forum. The We've gone as small as the last roster spot that is available for the Clippers. We've gone as long range as, uh, could, are the Clippers going to come out of the West? Uh, is Doc Rivers uh, potentially going to get fired if they don't even come out of the first round? And now we're looking at Paul George. I mean, you know, expansive podcasting by you, Yovan. Pretty impressive. <laughs> Thanks for setting it up, man. You got it, man.